Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. It's Farmer Friday. We would love to hear from you. Our phone lines will be open all throughout the show. The number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So over the last few days, we have been doing a seminar. We had been doing a seminar with Neil Kinsey. And during that time, we've gotten a lot of questions in. So we're going to get right to the Ag PhD mailbag. All right, Brian. Amazingly, after doing a week-long fertility seminar, we've got tons of soil tests here to take a look at. So here's one. Now, we get a lot of questions on corn and soybeans, but I just want you to know, if you're listening, it doesn't matter what crop that you're raising. A lot of these soils recommendations, if you've uh, caught any of the the Neil Kinsey workshop that we had this week, you, you probably heard more than once it doesn't really matter what crop you're growing here. A lot of the fertility things, yes, there's some crops are sensitive to shortages in one nutrient or another, but in general, good crop, good soil for raising corn is good soil for raising almost anything. So here are some samples. This is from Ed. He said, we're continuous spring wheat on every acre. We're shooting for an average of 50 bushel. Our average rainfall is 12 inches. Wondering what you would recommend here for fertility. We are 100% no-till, so we would be either banding with the or, or putting it on as we seed the wheat or broadcasting. Okay. Uh, first of all, just like we say almost every day when we look at soil tests, you've got a lot of variability. You have soil pH as high as, let's see, looks like 7, and you have soil pH as low as 5.5. Obviously, with a five and a half pH, yields are getting impacted. So here's the challenge for a lot of people in Washington State. They say, oh, I can't get lime or it's expensive to get lime. We understand that. But trust me, you need some lime. You want to get that pH up a little bit. My next thing when I look at at your soil tests is base saturation. Here's how we like seeing base saturation represented. If you add up calcium, magnesium, potassium, sodium, and hydrogen, those five elements, its base saturation is a ratio of the one to the other, or the one to all of the others. And with yours, I'm not seeing, uh, I, 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 I think that I'm seeing the right thing on here, but I'm not 100% sure. So it's just done a little bit differently than how we normally see it represented. So for example, it's telling me a calcium uh, number, a magnesium number, a sodium number, and a potassium number, and then it says base saturation percent total. So I'm guessing they're just leaving the hydrogen off. That's what it looks like to me, but it's still not right because the one that's a 7 pH is saying only 87% is the base saturation and there's no way you're going to have 13% hydrogen in a 7 pH. No way. So I don't trust your base saturation numbers. That's what I'm telling you. I would send at least a sample to another lab, whether that's Neil Kinsey, Midwest Lab, some other lab out there, and then we'd like to see those tests. So at least one, and for yourself, that will help you. Uh, the other big thing I would say is you just you want to do everything you can to fertilize the crop well, and so that means a balanced nutrient program. It's not just the N, P, and K, and yes, it does look to us like you're going to need some more phosphorus. There's some out there, but it's not a 
tremendous amount. Uh, 20 parts per million, uh, let's see, 15 parts per million, stuff like that. But then also take a look at the, the micronutrient levels. If you, and, and I will say, Darren, one of the good things that he had on here is we do have some deep soil tests with at least a few of the nutrients. It's kind of interesting to see where some of those are at, but I, I, I would say, you know, you're running just a little bit on the low side on, on important nutrients for wheat like copper. We really like seeing at least a couple parts per million on copper. That's huge in terms of wheat yield. So just take a look at everything, not just NP and K. All right. Thanks for the questions. Got this from Gary in Montana. He said, we've got an eight soil pH, 90% calcium on our base saturation, 8% magnesium. Wait, only... here, hold, hold up. Let me write that down. Go All right. Sorry, so sorry, calcium, magnesium, yep. and potassium. He's got, got 90% calcium, okay. 8% magnesium, okay. 1% potassium okay. and an eight pH. Okay. His phosphorus is at four parts per million. And he's wondering, where do you start on something like that? Now, the first thing that I would say, and I, I'm betting Brian's going to jump into this, Gary, is drainage. Now, I get it. You're in eastern Montana. But in some of those soils, we've got an issue with controlling where the water table's at, especially in the, the Yellowstone Valley. But there's, there's other areas, too, where Drainage can be a real issue. If you're seeing a buildup of things like boron, sulfur, you're seeing high pH, sodium building up, those kinds of things, soluble salts, any of those would, would tell you we probably have a drainage issue. So I would look for those. In terms of nutrients, Brian, when you're at a 98.1 on the base saturation and only four parts per million phosphorus, looks like we're going to need a lot of stuff there to feed the crop. Yes, for sure. So we don't have his soil test. That's all he sent in. Do we know? Oh, I was wondering what the cation change capacity is. I've Sorry. just got one. It's kind of tough to. Oh boy, yeah, it's see. really tough. Yep, it's not uh, not the most clear thing. Okay, so when we see calcium levels that are that high, we start thinking about it's what. It's got to be heavy ground, though. One hundred and twenty-five oh, yeah. parts per million of K and less than one percent base saturation. There, right, right. But yeah, at, at a 1% base saturation K, that is not nearly enough. And even at the 8% magnesium, you're most likely going to have issues with magnesium in your plant as well. So if you were to pull plant tissue analysis, you're going to find that that magnesium is most likely low. The potassium is going to be ridiculously deficient. But what, here's the first thing that we're going to tell you. Yes, the 8 pH stinks, and we do want to focus on the drainage. But we would tell you hey, we got to look at all the nutrients and we got to do everything we can to feed that plant. So you want to have ample amounts of phosphorus, four parts per million, and you know this too, that's not going to cut it. Most likely the sulfur is going to be an issue. Is sulfur, do we have, yeah, boy, I can't even read this. I can't see what sulfur, is that excessive sulfur there? If it is, yeah, I just, I, I apologize. I can't read this. If, if maybe you sent us another picture that was a little more clear, we could see. I think what I'm seeing here is excessive sulfur. That tells us you have a drainage issue. Fix that. Your calcium will start going down. Things will start getting in line. Otherwise, just feed the crop. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. When it comes to trusted herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. And you certainly know New Farm exclusive Weedmaster. For decades, Weedmaster has been the go-to herbicide for consistent burndown weed control in a huge variety of crops and in range and pasture management, too. Don't let yield-robbing weeds stand in the way of your progress or profits. New Farm and Weedmaster Herbicide, here to help. Precision Crop Nutrition 
pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday, taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Let's head over to Illinois. we got Doug with us right now. Doug, how are you doing? I'm good today. How are you? We are doing excellent here. How's, how are you coming on your planter? You got that all ready, and, and you're about ready to put her in the field as soon as conditions warm up? Well, yes, we're probably about a month away from warming up. We we were under 10 inches of snow four days ago with uh, temperatures down into single digits. Um, we have got one rig is ready to go. We've got a 24-row. We're, we're adapting this year and going to put liquid fertilizer in furrow, so we've got to put that system on, and that's next week's job. So, But we're things are shaping up nicely, I think, for for a good planting season. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know. I just talked to a lot of farmers here this last week. A lot of guys said, yeah, got the planter in, got her tore apart. We're doing this or doing that and adding some different parts on. So, all right, you're putting the liquid on in furrow. Is it fertility that's driving that decision or is it something else? Uh, mainly fertility. I'm wanting a little something more available to the plant when it germinates to kind of get it off to a better start. Um, here in southeastern Illinois, we've got some some pretty highly variable soils from river bottom ground all the way into some some rolling clay hills. And I'm just uh, I've been debating with this and been researching it for a couple of years now, and talked to several guys that are, that are using these systems, and they're just getting I think a, a lot healthier plant out of the gate um, when they get it in the ground. Yeah, it's one of those things too. We we talked to so many farmers this week about fertility things and a lot of them are saying the same thing as you are doug that just to get that extra little boost doesn't have to be this huge amount of fertilizer or anything but but to get that plant started right i i always equate it back and i grew up on a cow calf operation and farrow to finish hog operation and we just always saw if we got a young animal off to a good start they almost always turned out pretty good for us but if they didn't start off well they they didn't didn't generally turn out that good in the end and i think crops are kind of the same thing 
I think you're exactly right. I I think if you if you can get that first month um, of the growing season, if you can get the that that plant out and started, and I think uh, you know, uh, plant animals are the same way. But if you can get it up and kind of get it a good base to take off with, it'll it'll endure a lot more. Um, and it also, I think, is going to help uh, naturally as as planting seems to get a little earlier every year, uh, particularly on corn. That uh, I think if if you can get that plant off to a good start, it'll endure a little more some of the adverse conditions that it encounters during the growing season. All right. Well, the big question right now, Doug, is are you planting more corn this year? Are you planting more beans? Are you sticking to a 50-50 rotation? How are things going to shake out on your farm? Are those decisions still getting made? Uh, no, we've got pretty much everything set up. We're, we're going to be very close to a 50-50 rotation of corn and soybeans. Um, soybean numbers, I think, are going to be a little higher in this area, but we saw a pretty good drop, uh, particularly last fall, in the amount of soft red winter wheat that's planted in this area. And so I think a lot of guys, uh, it, the, the yields and the price on, on wheat were so variable, um, I think the guys decided it was kind of, kind of time to quit gambling on those and go with something a little more sure. And I think a lot of those acres are, are a pretty high percentage of those acres are probably going to go into soybeans this year. Yeah, that is good information to hear. Yeah, thanks, Doug. We really appreciate that piece of information. Good luck here. So get that planter ready. I think you're going to like that liquid system. You have to let us know how it turns out. Okay, be happy to. We'll we'll guinea pig it and see how, how everything runs, and I'll report back. Sounds great. Thanks a lot, Doug. Yeah, planting season's getting closer. I know uh, uh, Doug said, well, we, were just, we just had a bunch of snow, but... Snow goes away pretty fast at this time of year when you get the right weather. So that's that's going to be an interesting thing. And, you know, with this weather change, with temperatures warming up dramatically from just a week or so ago, I think about the grain in the bins. I know we're hauling some grain out right now, and I don't know. I don't want to have any problems out there. Grain's worth too much. we got our friend Tony Wendler on with Farm Shop MFG right now. How you doing, Tony? I'm doing excellent. Uh, Darren, how are you today? Well, pretty good. I felt really confident in the quality of our grain when we were 20 below here about a week ago. But now when we're getting up in the 50s and and the sun's out, I don't know. Things can change really quick in those bins. Hey, I tell you what, the uh, I really like being on today because of the timeliness of this. Across the whole Midwest, we all got exposed to temperatures that are, what, 30 40 degrees below normal and the changes that has made on our grain on the outside skins of these bins and a thing that people really overlook uh, i'll just do a description my current soybean bin i went out and looked at the monitors here this past week the uh i had that grain stored in the the soybeans in the mid 30s about 34 35 degrees the bottom sensor in there is two feet off the floor and the temperature on Tuesday was 17 degrees. Wow. So this cold draft we have, even though I got shutters, uh, when you have the wind blow, these bins have a tremendous chimney effect, and they'll suck air into the bottom. I've now got the beans in that bin is now chilled to 17 degrees, at least two and a half feet up from the floor. Then halfway through the bin, I've got a reading there of 34, and then the uh, the next layer up is is just slightly warmer than that. So I've got a huge temperature variation. The other thing that I got to consider, and I don't have any sensors uh, that close to the skin in this bin, but uh, 
with our temperatures getting down to whatever they were, uh, you know, 26, 28 degrees below zero, any grain next to that outside skin is tremendously chilled down also. So I've got huge variation in grains. I've got a, a terrible setup for uh, to have moisture migration and all of the issues that that could create. So that's one of the things I think everybody needs to be looking at what's going on in their bins, thinking about what's taking place. Uh, a couple of things like you're talking warming up to 50, but whatever they've got for their their core temperature they stored their grain at, they need to look for an opportunity to get the fans on when the outside air is at their core temperature and stir that air up and, and get all that uh, tremendous layering we've got from the outside skin. Probably everybody else experiences the same thing as I do on my floors. I didn't didn't really recognize that till a few years ago when I was monitoring. I started recognizing how much the floors can change when you have uh, windy conditions. The summer, I've seen the floors of bins warm up to 90 degrees on a 90-degree windy day, suck wow. that air through of the chimney effect. So the then the next thing, like you say, is 50. We need to, once we get our cores evened out, we need to start looking to warm it up and stay in time with the uh, ambient outside temperature. And do you want to be, do you want to be 10 to 20 degrees less than the outside temp, Tony, or where do you want to be with that grain? Ideally this time, uh, this time of year, the, uh, the, the cold, the old school would be like soybeans and stuff. I like to have it in the mid thirties as the temperature is warming up. I'll follow it in the summer. Personally being on the Iowa, Minnesota border, I like to have mine, um, 60, 65 degrees is my target in the summer. Uh, that's not, you can't do that in uh, southern Missouri or, or Texas sure, or sure. as further south. But uh, like you say, probably 20 degrees. Uh, you look for the cooler nights to uh, maintain your temperature when you've got uh, grain stored in the summer. Yeah. Um, yeah, one of the, the good things this year, Tony, I think that's probably a blessing in disguise with some of these temperature fluctuations we've had is the price has actually been pretty good. And so a lot of guys are hauling things out that still have some grain. But, you know, for, for the farmers that, that haven't been hauling out very much and you're holding on for a higher price, you just got to pay attention to these things. And I think what Tony's talking about here just raises that question. Is it worth it getting at least one bin on the farm set up with control so we can see this? Because when you know this is happening in one bin, you know the same kind of conditions are happening in the others. Very good point. And, that, and that's, I did not recognize the, the component of the bins having such a tremendous chimney effect a few years ago. In fact, the, uh, the first couple times I had corn stored in the summer and the uh, floor alarm went off and I was getting temperatures up into the uh, 80s. And uh, I remember one getting up to 90. I was thinking, holy Ooh. cow, I've got a terrible hot spot. Yeah, that's not going to be not going to be a good deal. Hey, Tony, we're up against a break here, but really appreciate it. Very timely reminder. Check those bins. We've had a lot of change in the weather. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. 
Always read and follow label instructions. It's about time. Time for unprecedented season-long foliar disease protection. Formulated for a convenient at-plant application, new first-of-their-kind Inferro Zyway brand fungicides deliver complete inside-out protection from day one. From root to tassel, stalk to leaf. From planting through harvest. The active ingredient, Flutriophol, moves from the soil through your plants as your corn grows. Change the way you approach foliar disease protection from the start with first-of-their-kind Inferro Zyway 3D and Zyway LFR fungicides, available only from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides qualify for the exclusive agronomic and economic incentives of the FMC Freedom Pass program. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And I got one here from Rod down in Nebraska. And he said, guys, we got a second-year Roundup Ready alfalfa field. And we had a little bit of weed pressure out there last year, which is not uncommon for first-year alfalfa. But this year, we are expecting some velvet leaf and water hemp pressure. Not very much grass. Just wondering if there is something we could do to get an early start on this to hopefully let the alfalfa get ahead of the weed pressure. What would you do for weed control for velvet leaf and water hemp in Roundup Ready alfalfa? Yep, so obviously you're going to spray your Roundup, and hopefully some of the water hemp dies. Some of the velvet leaf would probably die. Raptor would be the best way to go on that velvet leaf, although buckturel isn't that bad either. But Raptor would be a little bit better and give you residual. So if you got going with that early, that'd probably be the thing to do. The water hemp's a real problem, though, in alfalfa. I don't have a good answer. There's nothing that's going to take pigweed out of alfalfa. Now, some people are going to talk about some of these dormant treatments that you can possibly do. I'll just say this. I don't like any of them. I don't like any dormant treatment. In my opinion, you're going to be money ahead 
to take the stand out, to rip it up, plant another crop in there for a year, start over again with alfalfa later once you've gotten it cleaned up. Because the dormant treatments still hurt the crop. I don't like them. I wouldn't go that way. So in crop, you know, once the you're, you've got your, during your growing season, on water hemp, the only thing that's got much activity is butyrac, which is 2,4-DB, which is also hard on the alfalfa. So I don't, I don't really know what to say. Some people go buckterol plus butyrac. Buckterol is not very good on water hemp either. It's that it's a tough deal. And if the water hemp gets too bad, you're taking the stand out. So unfortunately, that's where we're at. All right. Thanks for the question, Rod. We appreciate that. Uh, oh, and the other thing too. Uh, you mentioned that you had first-year weed control issues. We really like putting a pre out in front of alfalfa. You only get one shot to do that, and putting Eptam out up front is is really a big deal. It, yep, it makes such it a huge difference in that Enormous. first year. Enormous. Oh, the other thing I guess I could throw out there would be if you go spray that water hemp when it is a quarter inch tall, I'll bet you your Roundup works. Give it a shot. Because you have no other real options. So at least give that a shot. All right. Uh, Next one. This one, I believe, also comes from Nebraska. This is from Lucas. And he said, we're planning on corn and soybeans this next year in northeast Nebraska, rolling hills. Zones sampled here between two and five acre grids. Tests one and two are in the same field, three and four in another, five and six in the third field, and seven is some new ground we picked up. Now, these samples were pulled last fall after harvest when it was dry. Test seven is an alfalfa field that we broke, and it was it was tilled up. This is going to be soybeans this year, so that new one is going to be soybeans. The rest will be corn on corn. We're looking at building some fertility, thinking about spreading 400 pounds of mez, 200 pounds of potash on everything except yep. test number one. Depending on how the spring turns out, we're thinking about side dressing 32% late. We're yep. not yet set up for fertilizer on the planter, but also looking into doing two by two on each side of the row. Just wondering what you would do shooting for 200 bushel corn. Yep. So I like those things. I'll 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 say this too on... And I realize with the mez you're addressing the, the your sulfur needs, but I I am I don't know if I I'm going to say shocked, but it is almost every single soil test we see is either deficient on sulfur, like this field where I mean it's four or five parts per million, that's it, or it's like one we had earlier today, a thousand parts per million, so we have a drainage issue. It's one or the other. We see rare rarely where the sulfur level is where we want it to be, which is 50 to 100 parts per million. So I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, In addition to your mez and potash, I would encourage you to consider copper and boron. Copper, your copper levels, you're at one part per million, and you really need to be at two or more. That will help you with disease issues. That will help you with standability in your crop. That's a big deal. So I would be looking at copper. I'd also be looking at boron. That's something that's going to help you fill your corn ears out to the end. So a lot of people say, well, you you just planted too thick, and that's why you didn't fill your ear out to the end. And that could be. But most of the time we see it's lack of boron. So just get a little more boron out there and some copper, and otherwise you're certainly on the right path. 
All right. Thanks. Oh, hey, uh, sorry. I, I got to throw one one last thing out here, Darren. And did he say they already put nitrogen on, or did he not? Did he, what did he say? He said we're going to do mez, potash, and nitrogen, right? Uh, I don't know that he mentioned the nitrogen yet, but they were going to put on some thirty-two yeah, percent late right. spring. See, yeah. So it, anyway, the reason why I bring that up is because he has as much as one hundred and sixty-nine pounds of nitrate. In one area, so they must have put some on already. Well, I don't know. He's he's all the way down to twenty three in another area. Well, some of it's corn on corn. Okay, but I- anyway, and all I'm saying is, I am very glad to see that you're also testing nitrogen because we get a lot of samples in where they don't test nitrogen, and then we're just guessing. We're assuming you have. 10, 20, 30, 40 pounds left. Well, in one, he's got 169 already. So that's going to save some money on nitrogen when you know you don't have to put as much on in that field. All right, let's jump back to the phone lines here. Get Chris with us up in North Dakota. Chris, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Well, doing pretty good. But I'm really curious what's happening in North Dakota. What What's the sentiment with farmers in your area about which crop they're going to put in this year? Well, they've all actually come up in price, so that helps. Um, you know, most of us kind of have a rotation that's more or less set. Pretty dry, though, so it's going to take some moisture, too. So I guess, I don't know, some of the people I've talked to, we don't like seed and canola unless it's real wet, so that one's kind of out even, well, so far, even though the price is pretty attractive on it. Yeah, that's right. When the prices are good on all these crops, you actually have a few choices, which is kind of nice. Do you see soybean acres going way up in North Dakota? You know, I'm more over to the western side where there isn't as much, although there has been some more experimenting with that. Um, I would say with the price of canola, you're probably not going to see a lot more soybeans come in. Um, The eastern side, I would guess so, yeah, but that's a little more out of my expertise there. Yep. Now, you mentioned you guys are dry, and that's not totally unusual for your area. Uh, Are there... what? What are your go-to crops on dry years? What works out the best typically in your area? Usually it's mostly durum or spring wheat and then peas or lentils, you know, some relatively shallow-rooted crops like that. I mean, you know, pulse crops and even flax are a lot shallower-rooted than wheat or canola, so they don't go to as far down, I guess, but they don't suck as much out either. Yeah. Depending how you want to look at it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, when you think about that wheat crop going in on a year like this, does that mean you're going to plant a little bit deeper to try and get down to moisture, or how do you adjust on these dry years? Usually, well, most of the time we, well, in my experience, I guess every year we at least get some moisture to get stuff going, so we don't try and go much deeper in probably two inches or so. Usually we're shooting for an inch or an inch and a quarter or something like that. And any deeper than that, and it doesn't really seem to have the oomph to come up, even if it does have the moisture it needs. So I guess we cedar there and hope it rains enough to get it going. Sure, sure. Now, on the western side of North Dakota, are there any weed challenges that are popping up that you'd say, man, the last few years we've had to be fighting this or that? Is narrowleaf hawksbeard in your area or any, uh, any of the other ones that are really getting tough to fight? Yeah, that one's really exploded in the last few years in western North Dakota, eastern Montana, too. Um, Canada thistle's always a problem. It's more so in pulse crops, too, where your control options are a little more limited. And just the way the plant architecture is, there's not as much competition either. So there are bigger problems there than they are in small grains or even canola. But those are the big two, probably. 
Yeah, hence the the uh, rotation that you talked about to try to clean certain weeds out before you put different crops in. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it'll be be interesting to see how this year plays out. Hopefully, you guys catch a little bit of moisture. Anything on the near term horizon here for moisture coming your way? You know, maybe first part of next week they're talking maybe a little snow, but we'll see. We're supposed to warm up a little bit above normal, so if there's some in the ground, but really as long as it rains in June and July, we'll be good. Absolutely. Well, Chris, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Good luck here this spring. Absolutely. Thanks, you guys, as well. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back after this. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers.
listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. It's Farmer Friday, so we're taking your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show. If you're out in the shop getting the planter ready and have a question, or maybe you're even in the field and you're part of the world, that would be wonderful to hear what's going on out in the field too. 844-44-AG-PHD. Got this from Ashley down in Nebraska. I got this soil test report back, and I'm curious if you would have a chance to look at it. This is a very sandy farm that exhibits noticeable plant-to-plant variation. Everything seems to struggle on this particular field. Well, the first thing I'd say, if there's plant-to-plant variation, then I would go do tillage, which sounds crazy when it's sand, but that's what I would do to help hopefully alleviate some of that. The biggest thing I see on here is you got 50 parts per million of magnesium, which is not enough to raise a great crop. So I would get more magnesium out there. Plus it is really sandy. It's 4.2 for cation exchange capacity. So do anything you can to get more magnesium out. Now, how we would do that is because your soil pH is 5.4, I would put on a dolomitic lime that's got a bunch of magnesium in it. The good news here is you've got really good levels of phosphorus, 82, 86 parts per million on phosphorus. Your potassium is also good, 15% on base saturation K, but because it's so sandy, that's only 250 parts per million. Anyway, I mean, for a lot of farmers, we're talking to them about N, P, and K. Well, the P and K, you already have taken care of, so that's awesome. Uh, You actually are in great shape and maybe even excessive on zinc. Um, Your iron levels are really high. Your copper levels are really high. So what are we missing here? It's limate. It's nitrogen, sulfur, boron. And the nitrogen, sulfur, boron makes complete sense because those are all leachable nutrients. Oh, one other thing I would throw in there, manganese. Manganese is not nearly as leachable as these others, but it does move. And so when you've got sand, that's going to be a a little bit of a concern constantly. So I might get a little bit of manganese out there too. Hopefully this is irrigated ground. If it's not irrigated ground, it's obviously tough to raise a great crop in Nebraska when you get all the heat that you do. But if it is irrigated, you're in pretty good shape. Just get the lime done, nitrogen, sulfur, boron, a little bit of manganese, and you're set. All right. Thanks for the question there. Uh, This one came in from Randy, and he said, I want to ask you guys about ammonium sulfate. I've never spread that with my potash or with my DAP, but the more I read, it seems like farmers are spreading AMS on their crop fields, and it's important. Yep. Talk to my local co-op, and it seems like there's more guys in my local area doing it too. Yep. But I'm not exactly sure what this is. Is it the same ammonium sulfate that I'm adding to my sprayer, same chemical analysis? Yes. Also, I would appreciate if you could tell me how to make a recommendation for it. How much is needed? Does it depend on my soil sample, or is there a standard amount you put out? Okay, so first of all, ammonium sulfate is an expensive way to get nitrogen out there. The good news is it's in the ammonium form. You also have sulfur, which you need in most fields. So anyway, there's good, but like I say, it's expensive. Uh, In terms of how much you're going to need out there, you know, that's really up to you. How we usually do it is we go, all right, let's say we need 200 units of nitrogen. We're not going to do that with ammonium sulfate. That's expensive. So we, we only need some sulfur. So we'll put out 100 pounds or 200 pounds of ammonium sulfate, and we just broadcast that at a set rate all the way across. And I, I'm bringing up this set rate thing because you mentioned 
Potash and DAP. Well, with Potash and DAP, both of those, we do variable rate all the time because we've got areas where we don't need the Potash or the DAP, and we have other areas that we need a lot. So that's usually how we handle it. It's in a separate application from ammonium sulfate, but you can do it however you want. The last comment I wanted to make is, well, the analysis is the same as what you would dump in the sprayer. The product is not the same as what you would dump in the sprayer. The, what, what you're going to put in the sprayer is called spray grade ammonium sulfate, where the material is more fine and it will break down faster and you can get poor quality ammonium sulfate that all of a sudden doesn't mix with your water, doesn't mix with your herbicides. That's a real problem. So make sure you're not using the bulk fertilizer form. You don't want fertilizer grade when you're throwing that in your spray tank. All right. Thanks for the question there, Randy. Got this one from MLD who said, I'm wondering about tile and what the minimum depth that you would feel confident that your heaviest, heaviest equipment will not damage it driving over it. It depends on the size of the tile. The bigger the tile, the deeper you want to have it. So usually we're talking about a minimum of two feet for the small stuff and two and a half or three feet for the big stuff. So to keep it simple, I'd say two feet for the really small stuff three feet for the big stuff, and you're in good shape. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, I get this one from Justin. He got a couple of questions. He, he said, I'm in the southern interior of British Columbia, and we've re recently changed our cropping intentions. We're going to plant barley and wheat. We'd like to confirm our soil nutrients after winter. So my first question is, what would you recommend for soil testing depth for barley and wheat? My second question. Usually, what, usually six inches. Okay, unless you're in no-till, then you might be only four inches. You could do that. I still like six inches, but go ahead. Okay, and they said, second question, what is the optimal seeding depth for barley and wheat? I do have irrigation, so I'm not concerned about the moisture part. Well, a lot of times, this is, this might depend just a little bit on the variety that you're growing, but generally an inch or inch and a half is, is where you're going to end up being on each of those. Hey, thanks for the question, Justin. We really appreciate that. Uh you know, on Farmer Friday, we're taking your calls and questions. You can send us emails as well. I don't think I mentioned that earlier. It's radio at agphd.com is our email address. And our phone lines, of course, are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Uh, get a question here from uh, Valentin from Ukraine, who said, I'm wondering what software you're using to make your variable rate prescriptions? Are, or what is the main driver in corn population in your fields? as a base for Wait, mapping whoa, the let's, corn let's, seeds. Let's take, one, let's take one question at a time. What's the first question again? Variable rate population corn maps. How are we determining our population? What software are we using? Uh, so there are a lot of different softwares we can use. There are a number of different ones online, whether it's Farmer's Edge, it's Climate. We also do a lot of stuff with Case IH and, uh, and, and their SMS. Yes, thank you. SMS and their software system. But yeah, there are a lot of different ones to do it. You can also set it up based on yield. You can do it based on soil type. Uh, I like doing it based on prior yields. And then that kind of helps us figure out where we're getting the most yield, where we're getting poor yield, because we use a factor of around. 7 to 1, 10 to 1, somewhere in that range for population. So, for example, if I'm going to plant 30,000, that means I should be getting a yield on corn of 210 to 300 bushels per acre. Well, if I'm only getting 160, 
then that tells me I got way too much population. I'm cutting that population back a long ways, probably to 20, 22,000. So if I've got bad areas, there's no point in wasting our money there. Just cut back. And so that's a lot of times how we will do it. Anyway, what was what's, what was his next question? Uh, just what software we're using and how we're determining how to do these variable rate corn maps. I thought there was something else. That's it? Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, then we got that answered. All right. Uh, you got one from Lily here that's real short here too. Lily said, I just wanted to understand how corn plants work. Do they contain both male and female parts? If so, the male part is the tassel, the female part is the silks. Just want to make yep. sure I understand correctly. Well, yes. Um, and with those silks, they're going to get fertilized by the pollen that comes off the tassel. And then basically that silk, every silk connects to where there will be a kernel on the ear. Once it is fertilized, then the silk will detach. And then you know that, hey, I, that kernel is going to make something. It did, in fact, get fertilized. But yeah, each and every silk has to get some pollen in order for that process to happen. All right. Thanks for the question, Lily. Uh, yeah, we get so many different questions on different crops too. And I think it, the question from Lily is important. You need to understand whatever crop you're growing, what are the growth stages, how are things going to happen, and what are the factors that go into making yield so you can understand when those critical stages are in that plant's life and protect or enhance anything that's going on out in the field. We'll get back to more of your calls and agronomic questions right after this. Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Nozzles are your ideal choice for the Enlist E3 herbicide system. With coverage comparable to flat fans and with 90% less drift, ULD nozzles meet all required standards for Enlist applications and provide optimal performance of contact herbicides. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore Herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore Herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer, so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with High Striker-treated nitrogen. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. 
It takes a team to beat resistant weeds. Experts agree using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective, contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC is a perfect teammate, having a synergistic effect with HPBD inhibitors and enhances products in the PS2 group. Make Tough 5EC part of your winning team. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farm your way. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Uh, let's get right to the phone lines here. we got Mark who's been holding on there from Wisconsin. Mark, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Brian. Um, so I've heard all this about seed corn inoculant. Okay. So there's, I've seen quick ruts on your show before. Uh, we've used Saberex in the past, and then... Was listening to your radio advertisement, and they were talking Indo Prime corn. Yep. I was just wondering, is there a benefit to switching off and using a different kind of seed corn treatment or uh, inoculant every year, so you get many different forms of? I think it's fungi and bacteria in the soil. Sure, sure. Okay, I get where you're going with this. Yeah, you're adding one kind of strain one year. You could do a different kind of strain the next year. The challenge with these is, for the most part, they aren't building up. A lot of them are good for that season, and then they're they're in such relatively small uh, quantities out in the field that the native bacteria kind of take back over. So I don't know that you're going to see a whole lot of buildup from one year to the next with any of these products that I'm aware of anyway. But if they do jumpstart enough for that season to improve nutrient uptake for that particular crop for the relatively small cost that a lot of these products are, we've had pretty good success with them. And in some cases, like the Quick Grits product you mentioned, we use that every year for 10 years. And we found a few other things now that we like and, and are using uh, in place of that. But um it wasn't that we were trying to switch between products. We we had good years using it many years in a row. Okay. And then... I think he had a question on starter for soybeans, too. Brian, you yeah. want to speak to that one? You can only put so much in furrow with soybeans, but yep. a little bit seems to provide some benefits, at least on our farm. Well, yeah, but it all depends on how you call it starter. So some people will say starter is in furrow. Other people will say starter is two by two. And so to Darren's point, yeah, you just can't put much in the furrow. I mean, maybe a gallon of stuff, and that, and then you want that diluted with a bunch of water, preferably, three to five gallons of water besides that, just to, to safen it up. So we've done micronutrients. I like that. I'll do a little bit of low salt fertilizer as well. Uh, that's P and K, but you just can't do much. Two by two, you can do some, but 
soybeans are just so sensitive. It's it's really hard. You have to be really careful. But as long as you are, then that part's fine. Okay. Yeah, what I have is inferral, and then I have 15-inch rows. Yep. So if you're saying one gallon, I'm assuming that's for 30, <laughs> and then... Yeah, 15, you, could you do two gallons? You probably could. Correct? You probably could. Okay. But let me throw this out at you too. And this is just our general statement. The more water you have and the heavier your soil, the more fertilizer you can use. And then our other thing, you know, going to this two by two is the more soil you have between the fertilizer and the seed or the young seedlings roots, um, the better off you are. So those are the general guidelines. I never like to to push this thing too far. And this goes back to when Darren and I were young agronomists, what our dad, who was a lifelong farmer and he was an agronomist too, he always told us, look guys, you got to make sure that you're really conservative on recommendations because you don't want to ever hurt a crop. That's the most important thing. So we're always very careful on crop safety when it comes to herbicides, insecticides, fungicides, fertilizer recommendations, everything. And because you're going to talk to people, I'll guarantee you, who will say, well, I put five gallons out there and it works fine. And you might luck out and get by with that nine out of 10 years, but sooner or later it comes back to bite you. So, yeah, just be careful. But yes, theoretically, in a 15 inch row, I could probably comfortably say, hey, two gallons, but make sure you're throwing a bunch of water with that. And it's got to be low salt products. Can't be sulfur, can't be nitrogen for just for example these some of these high salt products okay and then you mentioned micros what kind of or what kind of micro products okay i know i'm not trying to make you advertise here no, but I, yeah no i'm i'm just i i would say some type some type of micronutrient blend is usually what we throw in furrow on the other hand and i saw you were asking about copper too um when yep. it comes to micronutrients on a build program, so we were just looking at soil tests here a little bit ago, and I had, just as an example, and the farmer had good levels on certain nutrients, but they had deficient levels on copper. Well, that, there would be a case where I would say, hey, you know what, let's broadcast the copper. Copper is going to stay in yep. the soil. It's not, I mean, it's probably never going to leach out on you. I mean, if you put it out there, if you have a medium to heavy soil, for the rest of your farming career, that copper will never leave your field. It will be there until some crop uses it or a weed uses it. So anyway, we like broadcasting those things, especially when you consider they're such low rates. Because if you start moving your rows around or any of these kind of things, and all of a sudden you have, oh, I got some copper over here and 15 inches away, here's some copper. And sometimes your roots pick it up, sometimes they don't. And then we see more variability from plant to plant. So some of these okay. micronutrients where you're only going to put on a little bit, we do like broadcasting them. But anyway, just some general statements for you. I'd never put, let's say, two pounds of copper in my furrow or anything like that. you got to be right. really careful about right. some of these micros. Um, on that point, Yep. I think we're looking at copper sulfate, and I think that's like, I want to say something yep. like 12 parts. Sulfur and 35 copper. Does yep. that 
Yeah. Sound right? Yep, 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 right around there. Yeah, we usually figure um, you're one-third active on the copper portion of it. So, you know, if you wanted to get one pound of actual copper, then you're going to have to put three pounds of copper sulfate out there. The other thing with copper sulfate is you could spread it dry. You also could mix it in water. We've done that. Just be really careful and clean your sprayer out absolutely at the end of the day. If you leave any copper sulfate in your sprayer at the end of the day, you're probably going to be really upset. So don't don't forget to clean that sprayer out at the end of the day. It causes problems in sprayers if you leave it. But we've sprayed a whole bunch of copper sulfate out liquid. The nice thing when you take the copper sulfate out or take the copper sulfate, mix it in water is now you've created much more uh, of a fine particle and you can cover your ground better because, you know, you stop and think about it. If you're going to put one pound of active on an entire acre, that's 43,560 square feet. It's hard to do that super well with dry, whereas when you put it in water and spray it out, you're going to get a better spread. You're going to get better coverage. It's going to be much more even across your ground. Oh, I and even one... T- uh, sorry, uh, sorry to interrupt. Let me let me throw one other thing out. Two other things about copper. Uh, nope, three. Number one, copper is the disease nutrient. It's going to help you on disease. Two, for a specific disease, we were just talking about this yesterday with Neil Kinsey. Three parts per million copper and sudden death syndrome mostly goes away. Not maybe entirely, but mostly. So for any of our listeners that have any sudden death syndrome, I would challenge you, go to the worst of where you have SDS, sudden death syndrome, pull a soil test. I'll bet you your copper is below three parts per million. If it is, get it up and then you're in good shape. And uh, the, the last thing with copper is copper is key to seed coat resiliency. So if you have any seed coats that are falling off commonly, from your soybeans, that's a good indicator that copper is a problem. Um, Oh, I'll throw in a fourth thing too. Copper is also very helpful when it comes to standability in your crop. So if you want a better stock quality for any crop you're raising, I don't care if it's corn, soybeans, wheat, anything, better stock quality, it's potassium number one, but copper and manganese are in there too. Sorry, I could could talk about nutrients all day. We got time for, we got about 30 seconds left. Mark, do you have any last questions? Um, I always think that I do a good job at soil sampling and then it never fails that I get all these micros and then there's another one I need and that one is copper. Yep. So I don't have any soil tests for it. Do I dare just put on, you know, a third of a (laughs) pound of copper to one pound of copper or do I have to try to get out there when it's still swampy this spring and soil Well, I I would say this. It's nice to know because otherwise you're really guessing. And like I said, with copper, once you put it out there, it's not leaving. And so if you go put a third of a pound of copper out, that's probably going to be five years worth, 10 years worth of stuff. So just keep that in mind. For me, no, I'd probably soil test. All right. Well, uh, before we go, I just want to say thanks to our sister Janelle for running the controls for us today. Thanks to everybody who called or wrote in with questions. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.